dismiss our kids. We'll miss you, kids, as we dismiss you. Just a couple of things I want to mention. Um, welcome, by the way, to our worship today. I hope that uh, it's been fulfilling for you already and that I don't mess that up for you as I continue with you. Um, there's just a couple of announcements. You obviously, hopefully, have figured out that Bible school starts tomorrow. And so we're eager about that. There's a uh, pre-registration form that's on our website. If you want to pre-register your children, that would be a big help. And more information there about the Bible school. But it starts at 6.30 tomorrow. And if you're working, you know what time to be here. Don't be late. That's according to the VBS directors. Don't be late. I'm being stern on your behalf, Shay <laughs> and Alicia. I thank you both so much for the hard work that y'all have put into this already and for our leaders that have done such an amazing job already. And, uh, and there should be in your hearts and minds a point about every uh, mid-June where you start praying for Vacation Bible School. Uh, it's one of the greatest outreaches that churches provide to the community and it's one of the greatest opportunities that uh, we have in our community of, of, uh, of teaching the kids about salvation in Christ Jesus and we pray that that's what this week will be all about and I know it will be because uh, that's why you do it uh, and also uh, we're collecting school uniforms are we collecting anything else backpacks and school uniforms for those of you that that don't know um wednesday night our church is filled with kids that are unchurched for the most part except for the hour and a half they're with us and uh and many of them uh need more than their families can provide and so we are collecting uh uniforms and backpacks and supplies like that to help them begin the school year stress-free and and uh you know un unburdened by those things and so if you have uh school uniforms or if you'd like to pick up some uh new uh you can do that just talk to patsy about it i don't know how the size thing how what's going on there the less i know the better off you are understanding exactly what's going on uh go right to the source of the matter and she can help you figure out how you would like to help with that uh but it's much needed and it's a great way to invest your life into the life of these children. Uh, many of them you'll never know. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 9 again this morning. It's taken us a while to get through chapter 9, but it's 50 verses long. And there's a lot here. There's a lot that's been going on. And, um, well, it's been a lot. There's been a lot going on since verse 27 of chapter 8 when Jesus declares that, I mean, Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ. And in that moment, there's a big shift in Mark's gospel. Up until this point, uh, we recognize Jesus for the miracles that he's doing and the large crowds that are around him. And, uh, and there's much fanfare around him. He's, he's a welcomed figure uh, into the life of Galilee and even beyond Galilee into, into Gentile areas. But after that declaration, Jesus tells his disciples that, you know, God reveals this to you, 
And this is what's about to happen. And, and he describes for them for the first time that he's come to die and that he will be uh, not only died but, but persecuted, ridiculed by their own religious leaders, that he would be crucified and buried, but he would rise on the third day. And this creates great problems within this circle of, of 12 men that are following him. They don't know what to do with that news. And from that point on, we find that Jesus, we don't see Jesus so much with crowds anymore. And we don't see a lot of miracles being done. But we do experience Jesus teaching those that are closest to him. Because he has such high expectations for this little group of people. These people that he's chosen. And there's much to undo about their lives, even their religious lives. There's much to even undo about their understanding of Jesus Although they've only been with him a very short while, he's got to get some things straight in their lives so that when he does go to the cross and he accomplishes everything that God intended for him to accomplish, that those who believe will be the people that are ready to declare a message. Now, we are those same little band of believers, those of us who are near to Christ. And in the previous passage last week, we looked at the, the contrast that was, that was beginning to form here. There were those that were near to Jesus, the 12 disciples, and they were having this big argument about who was the greatest. And then there was this one little guy over here that was actually uh, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. He'd probably seen Jesus do this. It had moved him deeply, and he was, he was doing it. And the disciples were all upset about it because he wasn't part of their club. He wasn't near enough to Jesus. See, they were the ones that were near to him, not him. And in this moment, Jesus really brings to light the attitude that's developed in them that was going to not allow for the message to spread. In fact, it was going to kill it. And so there's some work that he had to do in the lives of these disciples so that they weren't so focused on themselves and the exclusivity that they held with Jesus as being his closest followers. It was time for them to let all of that go and begin to take really to heart what he had called them to do. That may be the case here today. Often, when the Bible starts speaking to the disciples in the Bible... We better pay attention to what it's saying to us. And so I want to do that today together when we look at um, beginning with verse 42. <clears throat> and whenever there's a but at the beginning of a sentence, you always have to look back a little bit to see what's going on here. And Jesus is talking about not stopping this guy for doing the very thing that, that Jesus has empowered him to do. He says, um, because that guy can never speak against me. Once you've had a taste of who I am in your life and what, I'm, and what you are capable of being as a result of that, you'll, you'll never, you'll never want to go against Jesus, is what he's saying. And then he goes on, he says, whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name, just the slightest thing that you do, you don't have to cast out demons, just the smallest thing that you do in Jesus' name, is going to secure your reward. Meaning that I've got plans for you beyond this. You just do the smallest thing. And, and, and I'm going to do great things with you, for you. 
That's his, that's his gift and his promise to us. That's his life with us. But he says, but, and you've got to pay attention to the but. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Wow. Pretty drastic stuff. And it gets worse. And if your hand causes you to fall away, your, your translation may say stumble. The word here in the Greek is uh, scandalon. And what word do you imagine in the English we get from that? Scandal. Okay? So what he's saying here is, is if you do something that, that makes the gospel a scandal in that person's life, then boy, you're in big trouble. So my translation chooses to describe that as falling away. Us Baptists don't like to think about ever falling away because once saved, you're always saved, right? But there's some indications that come along in life that help us know whether or not that whole thing about being saved is actually real for us. And we have to pay attention. And that's what Jesus is showing us here. But he says, If your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell. The unquenchable fire. Okay, so hell here in the Greek is Gehenna. Gehenna was the valley of Hinnon. And Hinnon was this place where the evil kings of old would go and sacrifice their children to Moloch instead of worship God in the temple. And since that time, it had become a trash heap where everything that was despicable in Jerusalem was hauled out to the valley of Hinnon and set on fire. Even dead bodies and criminals that had been crucified and that sort of thing were all carried to Hinnon and they were set on fire along with everything else. So the fire never went out there because the world is filled with filth. And Jesus says, you can either do it this way or do it that way, but one way gives you life and one way gives you Gehenna. We don't like to hear that very often. I don't know if anybody preaches about sin much anymore, much less hell. But we're going to talk about it today. Because it's next in this, in this book. And uh, instead of steering around it, we're just going to look at it. <clears throat> and if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worms does not die, where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. That's a quote out of the Old Testament. Some manuscripts don't include that, and it may not be in your translation. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. This word is yours, Father, and you have given it to us today to move our hearts closer to yours, to make us better servants to your Son, Jesus, and, Father, to care for one another. Grant us these gifts as we move forward from this day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
this entire passage that we look at today has as its context the millstone and the little one. Jesus begins this whole exercise in helping his disciples understand two things about who they are. One is that you cannot have an exclusive attitude about yourself in the church. This passage is spoken to the church and for the church. And you are the church today. (laughs) My New Testament professor would say those that aren't here today aren't the church today. Because the church is the gathered people of God. And if you choose not to be gathered with God's people, you can't be a part of the church. You may pretend that you're a part of the church. But you're not. The church is alive and living and breathing together. And we have to be together to know what that means and what that is. But I regress. This is for the church. And he warns them about their exclusivity and leaving the one healer out by saying that he wasn't a part of us. In fact, John so, uh, so dares to say, uh, you got to stop him because he wasn't following us. And nowhere does Jesus say, come and follow us. <laughs> He's always saying, abide in me, come follow me. But he never says anything about the rest of us. <laughs> so, you know, get it out of your mind. Some preachers think that you're supposed to follow them. I'm not one. If I ever am one, you got permission to tar and feather me and run me out on a rail. I don't want to be that. God, we're to point people to Jesus, and that's what he's getting to here. These little ones that he speaks of. Earlier, he, he had a child amongst his midst, right? And he said, look, if you just give a, a cup of cold water to one of these, you've done a great thing. But now he's talking about little ones as in the church. Who are the, who are the little ones? Who are the little ones in the fellowship? It's those that we sometimes look at and, and understand that they're not maybe not as uh, spiritually seasoned as me or seasoned in their faith as, as some might believe they should be. But nevertheless, they're little ones. They're vulnerable to whatever is going on around them. If you think about a child, a child is vulnerable practically all the time. My, my granddaughter came up here and she ran up here and she, she hugged my neck this morning. And she goes and sits in Shelby's laps and hugs her neck. And, but she just, she's just everywhere walking around innocently. This is, this is life. This is where it's supposed to be. And, and we all know that anything can happen in a moment. Somebody just snatch her up and be gone. And, you know, they're such, so innocent and so wonderful. And you have to protect those kind of people. And there's people in the church that don't understand what this is all about. They don't understand even the elementary things of life that they should and the elementary things of faith which they should have already gathered, but they haven't really. And so often they are in and out of fellowship and in and out of church and in and out of study and in and out and in and out, and they're not really grounded. And and many times we view that as something that is wrong with them. Why can't they grasp the importance of this? Why can't they see the value in this? And that's what begins to stir about in the hearts and minds of those who are here more than others, who are more faithful than others, whose faith, quite honestly, is more mature than others. But Jesus says that we are to look after those if we cause even one of those to stumble. 
If we cause one of those to fall away, if we cause one of them to imagine in their hearts and minds that this whole thing about the gospel is a scandal, then it's better for us that we go the way of the rock around our neck and be thrown into the sea. Romans crucified, but they also took great pride in tying a stone around somebody's neck and tossing them into the sea. That was, a, that was also a preferred way to die for the Romans. And Jesus is saying, that would be better. That would be better for your body and everything to be lost forever to the deep than to cause one of these little ones, one of these immature, less seasoned Christians, believers in me, to stumble. That, that should scream responsibility to all of us sitting in this room today who claim to be near to Jesus. Now, everyone in the room should want to be near to Jesus. That's why we live. We want to be near to Jesus. We want to be near to the heart of God. We want everything like the song. You've sung songs. You have sung songs today already that speak to the nearness that you want to have with Jesus. Every breath. Every breath is, a, is an offering to Jesus what does that say everything about my life is centered upon and meant for him but is it really and so Jesus warns against that he warns against that those of us that are intimate with Jesus have a great responsibility to those who are not it's just the truth Now, it's better that we discover how we are not helping. In fact, we discover the ways that we may be harming those little ones in their faith than to just stay where we are in it and imagine that nothing's wrong. Look around you today. Look around and see who's not here. We gather here today and we always look to see who's here, hopefully to share a greeting or to see what's happened during the week or to find out what may be going on but look at the ones that are not here because the ones that are not here are the little ones that Jesus is talking about and the ones that he is speaking of he's um, he's given us a reason to look after all of these little ones he has made us to where that's what we are to do If we look in John's gospel, he says, No greater love does one have than to lay down his life for his... Y'all know this. No greater love does one have than to lay down his life for his brother. Okay. That is where Jesus is leading us to. So your responsibility and mine to those who are the little ones in the church is to bring them up, is to bring them up so that they are mature in the, in the church. In fact, on seven different occasions, Paul speaks of the desire to, to bring to maturity the church, to bring to the knowledge of Christ, to maturity in the believer. Maturity is a big deal, and he takes it very seriously, those who are the little ones in the faith. Think of it this way. Those of us that are more mature kind of like the driver assist things that they put in cars today. Has anybody driven one of them? 
Have you driven the little driver? I, I haven't. But I saw a guy on YouTube driving one just to show um, what it was like. And so he would, he would steer over to the other lane. And this particular model of car would kind of begin to shake. It made this sound until he finally moved back over. And if he didn't move fast enough, it would actually begin to steer it over itself. And then it talked to the guy and says, too close to the inside lane or too close to the outside lane. And it would talk to him after it had corrected the problem. And then he was showing another one, and it would, this dinging would start going off, which would make me want to get out and just shoot the car. I mean, it was this obnoxious. It was, it was, it was, it was obnoxious sound, but it, when, when, he, when he, he, he braked too fast, one time and it went off and then he he was veering over again and it went off and so here's this driver assist and the whole time it's saying you know we're just trying to keep you alive here keep you on the right road here until you can get to your destination safely that's what it's all about and mature believers in the church are the same way your job is to help those who are less seasoned in the faith to stay in the right lane and to keep going straight until you get to the destination that you're intended. The one that Christ has designed for you. But sometimes we lose our patience with the guy that's all over the road. We've get enough. How many times have I got to get this guy out of the ditch? How many times have I got to keep him from going over another lane and hitting head on with the worst thing you can name and that be in the end? How many times have I got to do this this is an exhausting, pitiful, tireless job. Nobody's thanking me for it, and I'm just going to quit. And so you reach in there, and you pull out the computer for the driver assist, and you're going about your business, and the next thing you know, this poor guy that doesn't know any better steers off the road and down the ditch and over the cliff, and it's all over for him. And we will have done what we wanted to do, but we will not have done what we are meant to do. And that is to help these little ones mature in their faith. So how do we manage to not do that? How do we, what are, what are the sins that we should remove from our life that are either by an attitude or by an act of commission or maybe it's an act of omission meaning it's something that we're not doing that's really caused someone that's, that's budding to look at this and say, I don't know. I don't know if this is all that it's... I don't, think, I don't think this Christianity thing lives up to its billing at all. I mean, I'm looking at this guy or this gal and... I don't, I don't know. I think I'll do something else. I got a statistic for you. I love statistics. Because in, in every statistic, there's lives. Can't deny it. In the last 22 years, 34% of the church has left the church in America. So I don't know how many of us here today, 80 of you. That means 20-something of you should just get up and leave, and that would be a pretty good indication of how many people. But you don't have to leave. Just look at the empty chairs that are here. Now, statistically, 
Those 34 people, 34% of the people that have left the church have also said, and I'm not ever coming back. In fact, in fact, that 34% is outside the walls of every church today saying, and don't you go either. What happened? What happened? See, we, we blame it on the young millennial group. Can't blame it on them. They're coming to church. They're looking for church. They're eager. They're asking questions that most of the time regular Joe Blow church people can't answer. But they're asking the right questions. They want to be a part. You know who's left? The 35 to 60 crowd. Which is most of us in this room, by the way, right now. I said most. You ain't got to. You know why they left? Because the more mature believers in the church didn't pay close enough attention to the little ones. There's no other reason to leave because if Christ was there, they would have never left. You hear what I'm saying? It's just the truth. I don't know how. I've been reading about this now for six months. I can't find any other way. I keep, I keep looking for another way that all this happened. I don't want it to be my fault. It is my fault. And I'll tell you why. I'll move to one of my lower points. <laughs> As your pastor, instead of creating opportunities to help others grow in their faith, I sometimes let the nuts and bolts of this place occupy my time, and I didn't do my job as a pastor. I was called to be a pastor, and I take that very seriously. But I let, I let, some, I let some other things get in my way that caused me not to do that. I, I, I bought into the whole pastor-CEO model where you've got to have this and you've got to have this presence on the Internet, and it's got to look like this and it's got to be that, and it's got to be all of these different things because that's what will draw and keep people in church. And so I bought in. I spent a lot of time tirelessly, hours upon hours and weeks upon weeks. It became months and years trying to do it that way. And then, and then about a year ago, God hit me over the head with something. I don't even remember what it was. And said, where is any of that in my word? I called you to be a pastor to love people and to my presence. And all this other stuff that you're doing is not getting anything done. So I'm confessing to you today. I've repented. You can bet on that. But I'm confessing to you where I failed at this. And I can tell you, I've let a, little, I've let a lot of little ones slip through this place. But if you've got any maturity in your faith, so have you. So have you. See, we're all responsible. all responsible when Jesus is speaking this to these guys instead of using the singular first person second second person singular he could have easily used second person plural and then all you guys 
we've got a responsibility. And sometimes we let the things of church get in the way. A lot of times we're just not like Jesus in the world. John, 1 John 4, 17 says what? Anybody know it? NIV translation says it the best. If you want to stand confident before God on the day of judgment in this world, be like Jesus. Plain and simple. You're all going to know that by heart here in the next month because we're going to be saying it together a lot. I can't think of a more simpler way to say to someone, I'm going to be Jesus to you. I just want to be Jesus to you. And you can't just say that and get by with it. You've got to really know Jesus to be Jesus, don't you? That's one thing you can't ever fake in the world because he is the genuine one-of-a-kind article. And if you're going to live a life like him and for him, you better know him. Before you ever say, I'm a Christian, you better know the one, the name of the one that you claim. So, in this world, are you like Jesus? It's a, it's a simple question. Which means, do the little ones that come around, do they see Jesus in us? Or are they seeing me? That's important, don't you think? If every breath that I'm going to sing belongs to Jesus, then absolutely my, my life should be His, and that's all that people see is Him and me. I know it sounds kind of Pollyanna, but it's not. It can be done. It's just very, very hard. It takes a lot of discipline, and it takes a desire in your heart above all things to not be right all the time, just be Jesus all the time. Sometimes we want to be right so bad, we don't know how to be Jesus. We've got to be Jesus. Are we making an opportunity to mentor those that are less seasoned Christians? If you are near to the heart of God and you have a strong faith in Jesus, then Jesus expects you to have a little one under your wing growing them up, lifting them up to him. How do I know that he expects that? Because he came and took 12. 12 is all he could handle. That means that most of us can handle one. If you're really dedicated to it, you might be able to handle two. The guy that's got three, man, he's a monk. That's what he is. He's a monk. That's all he does. Man, every one of you that are near to God through Christ, that you know that you stand on a solid footing in your faith, need to be teaching another how to do it. Because somebody taught you. Somebody, somebody taught you. Somebody instructed you on how to do this. There were people in your life right now that you can look to and say, yeah, that guy, he, was, he or she was the, that was the epitome of what I knew a Christian to be. You need to be that person, see? That's what God has designed this whole way of life in the church to be. And Jesus stated, states it here pretty plainly. Is your life clothed in a morality that a less seasoned believer expects it to be? Do you know that people have an expectation of Christians? Imagine that. <laughs> Just like they have an expectation of Shriners. Shriners, the expectation is you wear a funny hat and you raise money for hospitals. Sometimes you ride around in little cars and parades. 
Okay, we have this expectation of Shriners. The expectation, okay, that people have of Christians is exponentially more important and more valuable than raising money for a hospital that cures kids' diseases. <laughs> and sometimes the morality that we project is not what they expect. Sometimes our language does not reflect Christian faith. And when your language does not reflect Christian faith, people immediately discount you as a hypocrite and you will never, ever be able to walk through the door of their life and say, here's Jesus. They're going to say, you mean the one that cusses like a sailor? You can forget it. You can chalk that one up to loss, learn from it, and go find somebody else. You're never going to get there. People never forget that. They never forget it. Most people believe that, that Christians don't get drunk because the Bible tells us not to. They expect us to follow the Bible. But when they see you drunk, socially or whatever it is, whatever, whatever, whatever you've come up with to, to make that right in your mind, when they see it, this is what they say. Man, I thought that person was a Christian. That's what they say in their minds. They're thinking, it. that's not right. I don't even add up at all. And so now look at the hurdle you've got to overcome if you've ever going to get in that life. It's easier just to, man, Lord, bless them with another life, not mine. I blew it. I'm going to go find some. Give me somebody else. It's just the truth. People expect a way of life from us. If you've got the kind of attitude that's kind of... Uh, looks down on people, if you tend to gossip about other people in front of a young believer or someone that doesn't believe, they don't know what to do with that. They don't know if you're a believer. You, they, they don't know if you're a brother or sister or not. They don't, they're afraid of you. They don't know what you're going to do next. They don't know what you're going to do behind their back. They're scared to death. They don't want to be around that, and they leave. They leave, and they never come back. I know people right now today that have overheard conversations about them in the church being spoken under breath behind their back and they left this door and they never came back. And you know what? They're not coming back. They looked me in the eye and they said, we're not coming back. So when someone asked them, why don't you go to church anymore? This is what they say. Man, those people, they just talk about you behind your back. I.e., they don't love you. They don't care for you. They're not interested in who you really are. They just talk about you behind their back. Behind your back. All these things become stumbling blocks. Y'all are getting tired of me naming off this stuff, aren't you? I can see it in your faces. You keep thinking, man, you keep stepping on my toes and nobody else's. Look at me. Look at me. They're my toes, too. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it any better. But it's the truth. And Jesus is saying to us, you've got to do the right kind of job. Not a better job. You've got to do the right kind of job. Or this ends badly for you. Because I've given you a job 
And the more you think that you can just go in there and unplug the part of the program that you don't like to do and keep on going, it's not going to make it any different in the end. Being a disciple of mine includes raising up these little ones and causing them not to stumble. Yeah, I know. So you may be thinking, what's this thing about salt and fire then at the end of this? Well, there's a big reason for that. Salt purifies. In fact, salt was put with the burnt offering in the temple as a symbol of its purification. Okay, that's, that was part of the reason why there was salt. There was the blood that purified. There was the salt. God left no message uh, vacant when he was declaring what he, was, what he intended for us to be and how it would happen for us. And so Jesus in this, he says, for everyone will be salted with fire. You're going to be purified with fire, meaning that this life that I've given you to live, this life together that you're going to, to live together, this is not going to be easy. The point of this is that we are all responsible in this purification effort of the church. People, I heard, a, I heard a guy this week say, there's been more Bible prophecy come to fruition in the last 30 years than ever in the history of man. He was talking about Jesus coming back and all that. And I, and I, I wanted, I should have. I wanted to stand up in that meeting and say, he's not coming back till the church is ready. And I don't think she's pure. He says, we will be we will be salted with fire. We will be purified with fire. It's going to be tough, but he will make us pure. Salt purifies, but fire purifies completely. And he intends for the purification of his church to be complete. He expects the best from you and from me and will not settle for anything less. 90% pure is not right. 99% pure is not right. 100% is right. And that's why not everybody's going to make it. The road is narrow. We get in this thing with Jesus and we discover, I don't want to be that pure. And we go about our business and Jesus says, God, I wish it was different. He expects us to be like him. That's when we know that the fire has worked in us. Do you think it's strange or coincidence or biblical that we understand the Spirit of God as a fire? <laughs> I think it's biblical. I think when Jesus uses an illustration like this, he knows very well what's going to come upon his people after he's gone. It's going to be the spirit of his Lord God, and that is what will purify us. And from that moment on, there will be no need for any other type of reckoning or understanding about anything, doctrinally, theologically, what I'm supposed to do today or tomorrow, with who or with that. The spirit of God will lead us. We will be purified. And so he says this salt it's good. This purification is good. We become agents of change and agents of purity in the world that the world desperately needs because God is a holy God 
And he only takes holy things with him into eternity. And the holiness that we achieve, oh God, the holiness that we achieve is through the blood of Jesus. And we are made like him. Salt is good. But if the salt should lose its flavor, how does it become salty again? Oh, see, their salt was different than ours. We, we enjoy pure salt. We like salt. If you ever go over there and you get sea salt that's just been, uh, this is what they do. They, they take these canvas things that are waterproof and they put water out on, in this canvas out of the Dead Sea and let the water evaporate and that's the salt. And it's full of all kind of minerals and stuff that after a while, the other stuff begins to go bad. You can imagine, you know, what might be in the water. And so it goes bad and the salt loses its saltiness. It's not good for anything anymore. And Jesus is warning us, don't lose your saltiness. If there's no saltiness in you, if there's nothing there to preserve and give flavor and make life robust in the church, then peace will not come among you. But he says in the very last sentence of that, and let there be peace among you. The peace that we enjoyed. Peace means what in, in, uh, in the Hebrew? Anybody remember? Peace. Shalom. Wholeness. Completeness. In fact, I saw a translation used today. Utter satisfaction. That's what it means. And that's what God is seeking in His church. And his church is you. You'll go to some places. And the church and the leaders of the church will try to make it about the leaders in the church. They're paid money and they're educated and they have time. And we're going to let them be the church. And we'll attend on Sundays and we'll sing and we'll do all our stuff. We'll attend a small group during the week but I'm too busy and I don't have enough time. And you see, what Jesus is saying is, you've missed the point completely. I've put my life in you so that my life is shared with others. And if you're not sharing me with others, there's no salt left in you. And you might as well be thrown out in the street and trampled on. You might as well just go to Gehenna. Because that's as good as life is ever going to get for you. Is that okay? Do you understand what he's saying? Then right now we're going to bow our heads and we're going to go to him with all of this. Because I'm of the opinion that a church that is not growing has lost its saltiness. And I don't mean just growing in numbers, although that's part of it. But when a church is not growing, it's lost its saltiness. <clears throat> when, when the ministry of a church boils down to three or four people, the church, you all, you've lost your saltiness. When tithing in a church remains at the same level for seven or eight years, 
church has lost its saltiness. It's not real eager to exercise its life in a way that Jesus intends for us to. When after years of asking, have you spoken to someone that wasn't in, in fellowship with us today and hearing, no, I just didn't get time, you've lost your saltiness. My point is, we don't get to leave here today and thinking, well, I'm okay. I think I'll pray for the person next to me. We've all got such a burden to bear for our Lord. And He is indeed our Lord. And He indeed deserves the life that He has bought and that we have surrendered or say we have surrendered. He deserves it. He doesn't deserve less. And God forgive us when we, God forgive us through whatever means, whatever misconception, whatever attitude, whatever belief, whatever it is, God forgive us when we haven't given our all to you for the sake of the little ones that need. Oh, God, they need you. They need to know more of you. They need to be able to drink you in and to grow and to be satisfied. They need to, they need to taste the robustness and flavor of the salt in our lives so that they thirst for you. Forgive us when we fail you in that, Lord. Help us, God. Help us, God, to be a people that looks first to the little ones that you love. To be diligent in bringing them up. Forgive us, God, when we fail in these things. Help us to see that Sheep only know to follow a shepherd when they hear his voice. And that you've called all of us who are mature in you to be shepherds. To call out to those who need you. And Father, for us to call to them, we must first hear your voice. Open our ears to you. Look, today I, I pray that, that Jesus is rejoicing because there's changed hearts happening right here in this room today. That we're seeing ourselves more realistically and that we understand more purely what we are to be and who we are to be in the church and, in, and to a lost world. But right now is your time to pray for that. If you need to come and pray with me about these things, then I ask you to come. We'll be praying about other things in a moment. But right now we're praying about these things. And look, some of you in the room may be, may be feeling, I am immature in the faith. I know I don't know all I need to do. I don't know what to do. And that's what... You've got to make yourself available. 
to the people that do want to help you and do want to help you grow and to care for you and to keep you from stumbling around in life. And I know sometimes people seem unapproachable. And I'll just say right now that I know Patsy and I are never unapproachable. You can come to us or anyone else that you feel like you can respect and that will help you. And if you're here and you know that you've got more to offer and you just haven't been, it's time to make a change. Even those in the church are tired of waiting and are leaving. So whatever's on your heart and mind about this, you have a chance now to pray. Our family care ministers will be here. I'll be here. And we'll pray as long as necessary.